Magazines of Monsters, episode 56, Conan the Barbarian 25 from 1973. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another recording for the show. And this is going to be a fun one because I have a comic book of epic proportions and I have an even more epic guest in the Charlton hero himself, Chris Bailey. How are you, man? I have looked into the mirrors of Karam Akkad. And I foresee a podcast that we, that we will absolutely decimate and one that we will cherish. And I can't wait to get down to business. It is foreseen and it is prophesized. <laughs> please tell, What's going please on, Billy? Tell, please tell me you're not naked in front of that mirror. <laughs> hey, listen, you, you, never, you, you never know what lies on the other end of a microphone. Mm-hmm. I tell people that all the time when they're like, are we going to do video? And I'm like, no. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, because I podcast in the nude. And they're like, all right. Said. <laughs> it's more freeing. There's no, there's no, there's no chafing. Mm-hmm. It's hot in my basement here, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's too, too hot to wear clothes. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Man. This is great. So yeah, we're all tuned up because we were talking some wrestling before we uh, hit the record button here. So we're all torqued up. Um, you're, you're Sid Justice. I'm Hulk Hogan and we're going to have at it. <laughs> you know something, brother. We're going to kickstart this, brother. My wife's into the, <laughs> on the beaches of Venice Beach, dude, hanging a bang with Brother Brutai, and I'm here with Brother Billy, dude. <laughs> oh, man, I can't, I, I can't get enough old-school wrestling people. I, it's, just, it's, it's too much fun. But anyway, we're here to talk about Conan the Barbarian. So he Hell probably could yes. have been a wrestler if he wanted to, right? I'm surprised. I mean, there's there's been numerous barbarian characters let's face it but none that actually resembled conan i'm i'm super shocked we've even had a conan like <laughs> we've had a conan in mexico we've had <laughs> the barbarian we've had nord the barbarian so you know we've got the um i don't i don't even want to talk about the viking raiders who are barbarian-esque so i mean you know you've got a history a litany of uh, of barbarian characters in wrestling but uh this bad boy, uh, yeah, he definitely has WWF written all over him here. Conan the Barbarian. And we're talking about issue number 25 of the Marvel Comics from back in the 70s, baby, where it all went down. Yeah, this isn't K-Dog. This is Conan the Barbarian. So get ready. <laughs> yeah. So there's a very specific reason why uh, I uh, picked this issue for us to talk about. And that reason is that it's uh, the first, you know, interior pencils of Mr. Big John Buscema. So what are your thoughts on him? Oh, John Buscema. Good Lord. Um, Marvel Comics, I think, would have gone underwater without the talents of one John Buscema. I mean, they had uh, jazzy Johnny Romita, of course, which was holding his ground over on Spider-Man. But I think the most prolific artist that ever, uh, you know, drew pages for Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics, I should say, was absolutely John Buscema. This guy is an absolute talent, even his brother Sal. I mean, he, he dragged his brother kicking and screaming into the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me tell you something, absolutely prolific, um, magical on the pencil. And man, some of his early work here, and he just knocks it out of the park. Uh, every single time you see John Buscema on a page, it is it is magic. And uh, I can't say, I can't speak hardly enough of this guy. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first time I saw his pencils was on uh, it, probably in a trade of his Avengers work from probably it was the mid 80s stuff that I saw first, not the the, the late 60s, you know, stuff. 
But uh, once I did then go back and see the late 60s stuff, I was just blown away. I'm like, wow, this guy is something else. And boy, to, to find out that superheroes weren't really his thing and Conan <laughs> and stuff like that was more of his thing blows my mind because I, I think his superhero work is just like, if the guy's heart wasn't even in it 100%, I just think that's mind-blowing because it's incredible work, right? His, his mastery of the figure, like he can... He can take a figure and, and twist it around into every single perspective possible. Like this guy doesn't have a weakness when it comes to it. If it's backgrounds, if it's facial details, if it's hands, like every artist seemingly has has a dent in their armor. And I don't think John Buscema has it. I, th I think that this guy is pretty well a flawless comic book artist. Now, you might say comic book artist. Why do I lay such emphasis on it? Because anybody... I can take my drawing tablet that's in front of me here now, buddy, and I can copy the crap out of someone else's work and sort of tailor it into my own and call myself an artist. That's what is happening in the business today, Billy, and you know it. This guy drew from scratch, and it is absolutely phenomenal what he pulls off here. Yeah, he's he's top of the food chain for me. He's right up there with the all-time greats. He's he's on my uh, Mount Rushmore for uh, oh, absolutely. He, he he has to be because I mean, you've removed John Buscema's um input from Marvel Comics and there is like a catacombs of voids that would occur if his if his art got got removed from uh from history. Oh my goodness. It is just just such an impact he had with Marvel. Wow. Yeah, you are not kidding. And he's one of those guys that was a lifer, too. He was just a Marvel guy. To my knowledge, he never did anything for DC or anything like that. He was a Marvel guy. Man, man. And they, they were lucky to have him because, I mean, yeah. listen, Stanley uh, is known for leaning heavy on particular artists. I mean, you know, he wore Jack Kirby to the knuckle. Steve Ditko literally ran kicking and screaming at a Marvel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jazzy John, uh, John Romita. My goodness. I mean, he had him uh, doing doing a yeoman's work. And of course, Busema came along and, you know, everybody got kicked to the corner like a dirty shirt. <laughs> yeah, he was he was the man for quite a long time at Marvel. Like I said, even late 60s, yep. even in the mid 80s, he was he was the guy. So but all right. So, again, Conan the Barbarian 25 covered in April 1973. We have a different art team on the cover here, and I am very yes. interested to hear your thoughts on this. It is pencils by. You know, a, a master in his own right, uh, Gil Kane, uh, and inks by an interesting guy, Ralph Reese. I don't know about a ton of his work, but I do know he has done at least a couple of stories in the black and white magazines that Marvel did in the Bronze Age, because I have a couple that have his uh, work in there, and it's it's decent work. You know, he's not like one of my favorites or anything like that, but it's decent work. But interested to hear your thoughts on this cover here. So this is who? Gil Kane, you say? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't it doesn't have the the hallmarks of Gil Kane until you look at the the female. So let's talk about the cover a little bit. So Conan is literally almost knocked over. So there's a he's standing in front of a mirror. Coming out of the mirror are a series of red tentacles, almost snake like. And he's got a sword drawn. You know, he's trying to fight them off. There's a girl at his at his knees. She's down on the ground and she's you know she has her hand up, scared of the. Uh, of the what's what's coming from this mirror and in the background you see the evil wizard with his hands raised just you know know that he's in on this con here tackling conan so you know pretty dramatic looking cover what i will say is that most times you know your cover is your centerpiece is where you're going to see your best art not the case here 
This art, I think, is a little bit more simplistic than what we're going to see from Buscema on the inside. A little bit jarring, actually. His Conan is, I would almost say, a slightly off model. And the, the backgrounds and the details of, like, the, um, I would say, the statues are very, very simplistic. I'd say it's a good cover. I wouldn't call it great. And it's one of those cases where the interiors completely outmatch the cover. What do you think? Yeah, totally agree. Uh, yeah, this cover to me, like you said, the lady on the cover and the statues that are these little monster serpent type things scream Gil Kane to me. Yeah, but, oh yeah. Uh, but Conan does not because his Conan doesn't usually look this muscle bound and the face looks different. So I don't know if that was Ralph Reese that was just so Somebody, heavy in some... certain parts or what? Somebody embellished his face. Gil Kane has a very, very, very distinct uh, manner in which he draws faces. I mean, it's and you could see it on the girl. The girl girl yeah. is one hundred percent Gil Kane on the ground. That Conan face, I'm guarantee. I think he got. Uh, I think he got Jack Kirby Superman. I think somebody else took the pencil and said, "Uh, no, this doesn't look like no Conan." Polished it up and made it look not like Conan. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Gil Kane did this and you know just drew it in a different manner. But I I suspect that's not the case. Yeah, his face, it's not that it looks bad or anything, but he's kind no. of grimacing. He's kind of grimacing, almost like he's on amphetamines or he's got a, <laughs> he's on the toilet and he's struggling a little, you know? Yeah, he's passing a small child there. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. He, Gritted he, teeth. He needs more fiber in his diet or something. But <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it, you know, once you flip the page inside, though, it's, uh, it's a whole different story. And uh, let's, uh, let's look at the inside here. So this is uh, – uh, script is Roy Thomas. But it's, uh, hey. I think, a Barry Windsor Smith uh, a plot he or a co-plot by him. Yeah. Because you figure up until this issue, it uh, it had been Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, it had been his gig, basically. He was, you know, penciling and inking his own stuff. And then he was doing uh, some co-plotting as well at that point, I believe, here and there on some issues. Which, you know, is it, it, a lot of that's like, you know, you can argue, well, what actually were they you know, co-plotting when they were rolling off of uh, a lot of Robert E. Howard stories in the first place. But oh, yeah. be that as it may, you know, that's he, he did have a couple here and there that uh, he had co-plotted as well. And again, I do love Barry Smith, uh, but I think John Buscema's Conan is way better. Oh, it's it's iconic. It, it's literally when 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 you pair a character up with an artist like I will always look at John Romita Sr. as the definitive Spider-Man artist. I mean, you, you know, you can talk about your Ditko's, you can talk about all that stuff. His Mary Jane and his Peter Parker are absolutely iconic, and John Romita is my Spider-Man artist. It's it's the same when I think about John Buscema on Conan. His Conan is pitch perfect, exactly what I remember and exactly the look that I that I think of when, when I, when I think Conan now, Barry Windsor Smith or Barry Smith, as he's called here um, is one of those cases where he's an artist that changed his style. And I think he was finding, you know, he was, he was tinkering with style on his early issues of Conan uh, previous to this. I think he did an admirable job, but, I don't think he had a definitive vision in his head on what exactly what Conan looked like. Like he would, he wouldn't do, you know, he would have him often wearing, you know, a, a crown or a cap, you know, with horns, you know, he did a lot of different things with Conan. He didn't have the iconic uh, black hair as much as uh, Busima would have here. So, I mean, you know, um, I think it hits a stride right here. This is the beginning of the Conan that I remember right here. Issue 25, 100% iconic. 
Yeah, and inking uh, Big John through the, throughout this one, except for two pages that we will talk about, is his brother Sal. Uh, and there's a, a couple pages that are like a, a bit of an insert uh, slash uh, flashback, and uh, those are uh, done by John uh, Severin. And you can tell because it looks a lot like John Severin's work in Cull, which, you know, yeah, we'll, get uh, yes. into, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yes. But, so, yeah. so Sal, his brother Sal, what are your thoughts? So I'm on I'm on two ends of the spectrum here. Go ahead. What I'd like to hear what you think first. As far as inking this issue? No, as far as overall, like you oh, know, you got, you got John Buscema, who is who is like legendary in the business, and then you got Brother Sal. Where where do you think he fits? What do you think his you know what his strengths are? How do you compare him to John? So for me, like I said, John Buscema is you know uh, he's top of the food chain. He's like hundred percent. A, a class, he's right up there again with, to me, every great artist that there's ever been in comics, you know, Wallywood, everybody, he's there. That next tier down is where I put uh, Sal Buscema, which means I love his work. His Defenders yeah. was great. Spider-Man, I even yes. thought was pretty good. I, I really love his work. To me, he's, he's just that next tier down, but he was very, very good artist. So, I'm on two ends of the spectrum, so I totally agree with you. I think... That Sal Busema or Busema had a very, very strong grasp, like his brother, uh, when it came to detail. Like sometimes it was hard to tell the two apart when Sal was on his game. Now, as the 90s rolled around and you got, you know, he started doing spectacular Spider-Man, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I think he really took on a very loose Eric Larson style of artwork and the detail completely dropped out of his artwork. And like the, you know, his faces became like very, very detailless. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the lack of detail completely went away and he went with like a really, really light uh, comic booky style, but it just wasn't what, you know, his brother John was doing, which was lush backgrounds, beautiful detail, you know, great work on, on clothing and, and just style. And, you know, he took on a different style, which was a complete departure from his brother. But early Sal, I would say, is super comparable to his brother. Like you said, probably one step underneath. But he definitely had the skill to, do, to you know, to ape his brother, I will say. I, I think he could do what John could do, but he chose not to, which is odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, yeah, once the late 80s and uh, early 90s rolled around, I don't know if a lot of artists were doing this on their own or they were being asked to uh, draw like a certain style, which was a lot of the, you know, like you said, uh, McFarlane and all those guys, Liefeld, all those guys that were coming into prominence and starting to sell a lot of books. People were either thinking, hey, I need to kind of draw more like them because they're what's hot and selling more books or they were being asked to draw like these other people, you know, like Stan did with the people in the 60s. Hey, draw like Kirby. You know, he, he tried Bingo, to bingo right on the money. Jolly like Kirby, draw like Romita. Yep. You know what I mean? I mean, Ross yep. Andrew, Ross and Gil Kane both did did a mimic of uh, of John Romita. That that was absolutely not Gil Kane's style, what he was doing on Spider-Man. He was doing his best Gil Kane does John Romita. And same with Ross Andrew. Yep. People say that, yo, I love Ross Andrew. Well, you love Ross Andrew because he's doing John Romita. <laughs> this is why you love Ross Andrew. He he's he's doing an extremely good version of John Romita, and uh, I don't think Sal Sal and Sal had the ability, but he chose not to. And man, I tell you, some of those books from the Spectacular Spider-Man in the nineties uh, with Sal's artwork, I I did not like them. Sam, I am. 
Yeah, they were just okay to me. Like you said, it it was really they started to lack detail in the the figures and even in the backgrounds and stuff like that. And like I said, nothing. I yes, why. it yeah. would be like a simple line to, to show a wall. That would be the. You know what I think happened here? I think the '90s was one of those things where people were getting lots of different work. Unless you were a big boy like McFarlane and can concentrate on your adjectiveless Spider-Man, you know these guys were scrambling to get work, so they were taking everything. So you know they could be, you know, doing uh, Conan one week, Spider-Man the next week, and God knows what for any other company later on, just trying to make ends meet because it was the time of the rock star artist, and these guys were sort of shoved to the side. You know what I mean? Yeah, you figure some of those guys that had been around since the late 60s had been getting up there in years and stuff like that, and it was just getting to be towards the end of their time in the biz. So, you know, yep. they, I think they were trying to hang on any way they could, and that maybe that's what uh, why Sal kind of changed things up a little bit there. Who knows, right? <laughs> but here we have mm. the Don, the genesis of uh, of a great artist so we're talking we're talking top level top flight work in this book conan number 25 you got to get it you got to take a look folks this one's this one's a beauty yeah and the colors were by marie severin which is awesome yep. and then letters by Artie simic so yeah this one uh, basically if there's just a, a little <laughs> one sentence here on grand comics database it just says prince yesdegerd prepares to storm Makalet, which whatever that is right so <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much what happens, but there's way more of this. So what about this splash page? Like you said, you go from this cover that is not bad by any means, but even if it's good, you open up to this splash page where it says the mirrors of Karam Akkad. What about this splash page? Oh my God. So it just, it's just a chest upshot of a wizard. He's got the cloak drawn over his head. He's got the classic John Buscema eyes, just heavily detailed, got the gritty snarl. He's holding this large red gem, which so some, you know, shows Conan right in the middle of the gem. And boy, is he, you know, he's really, really upset. This wizard is very upset that he, Conan was on his territory and he didn't grab him. So he's got a beef right away with Conan and he's very upset that a guy who was so close on his palace ground that he couldn't catch him. So, you know, right away, he's setting the table. I'm the bad guy, and I'm after Conan. That's all you need. And is this is this actually Karam Akkad here? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It is. This yes, is, it is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. But, yeah, it's just – it's incredible. It's – again, it's a black background with the, the, the words at the top, and there's a, a couple of uh, – you know, caption boxes and then this guy's spouting off, but it, it, you would think it looks really busy, but it doesn't. It looks fantastic with that jewel no. in the middle too. Wow. It's all about placement because everything, you know, the, the artwork is not impacted by the, by the text. And there's a lot, there's a lot of words in this particular book. And it was, it's a little bit off-putting because we go from uh, something we'll cover a little bit later in Shang-Chi which almost almost devoid of words because there's so much action in some parts to this one, which is really, really heavily prose. I'll say, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of verbiage going on here, but the artwork holds up and, and Busema masterfully draws around it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, this is a really good, like if you and I had talked uh, maybe a day or so before we had this recording here, if you've never read Conan or Thor, from this era it is tough to get used to the way uh well even stan lee did it with uh thor in the, in the silver age as well it sometimes is tough to get used to the way they write dialogue right sometimes it's yes. not easy yeah 
Correct. Yeah. There's this. This was very as as I said to you in our in our chat. It's very verily nay, which I make fun of when you know when you when you're speaking in like almost like a Shakespearean old yeah. old school you know you know beyond modern times type of language, and it's not uh, it's not the most easiest to comprehend. You know what I mean? I had to read it several times to really find out what in the blue hell that Mister Karam Akkad was actually trying to get at here. So. <laughs> yeah, it does. If it's something you don't read on the regular, it, it can be tough to either get used to or it's it's not a good inroad unless you like for me, when I opened Conan up, the art just blew my mind because the first ones oh, yeah. I got were probably in the 30s or 40s. And it was, you know, again, the same team, pretty much uh, Roy Thomas, John Buscema, and I think Ernie Chan doing the inks. So I was just like, wow, look at the pretty pictures. And then, you know, eventually you start reading and reading and reading and you get used to it. But yeah, if you're not used to this style of uh, dialogue for characters, it can turn you off. Oh yeah. I mean, right away he's saying that taunting more than thrice a cursed mirror. What? <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a kid, a five or six year old reading that, what, what are you getting out of that? Nothing. Yeah, this definitely was not for kids. Uh, this oh. definitely was a teenage college kid book when uh, when oh, yeah. put it out for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and, and, yeah. and it's funny you said that because my experience with Conan was exactly that. So you know, when I was younger, I couldn't buy heavy metal. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that I could not, you know, slip by my parents to get into the room, but. I could buy Savage Sword of Conan, Billy, and that had the boots, <laughs> that had the ladies, and that had the blood and the guts, and it was just as good as my heavy metal. So Savage Sword, you know, um, it was was a double-edged sword for me. So, you know, it, it satisfied several cravings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Savage Sword, too, is one of those deals that was, you know, black and white, but you still did not lose anything with the artwork, even, even oh, black and white. Right. I think it might have enhanced it. Yeah, I do think, yeah, there are some stories I really, really love. And I thought if they were in color, I just don't think it would work as good. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong there. It sets a good mood. Absolutely. But yeah, crazy priests are a running theme in Conan. There are several running themes. <laughs> uh, uh, leaders like kings of nations or leaders of uh, armies that piss Conan off and he ends up killing crazy priests like wizard types. And then just uh, crazy off the wall, like monsters as well. Those are pretty much everything you get that, you know, obviously, like I said, they were working from Howard stories. And that's pretty much what you got out of uh, it was, you know, magic or uh, monsters or both. <laughs> Absolutely. And this guy has a passion for Conan. So he uh, is the possessor of a mirror and we'll get into the origins of it a, a second later. And the reason why he's obsessed with this mirror is because it shows him in detail how he will die. So it gives him multiple ways that, you know, he's going to perish. Will he die by a lion? Will he die by an eagle, maybe a snake? And he's obsessed with this because, you know, he's going to spend his, his dying days, we'll say, trying to avoid the snake, the lion, and, you know, the, the, the eagle, you know what I mean? He, he wants to live, and he's, you know, he's the protector of this town. He knows that the Turians are ready to invade, and he's kept them at bay with his spells for so long, but he know, knows it's just a matter of time. But he's got this damn mirror that looms over his head so long, and every time he looks in it, it gives him an alternate death for himself. So listen, if you've got a mirror, and every time you look in it, it shows you a potential death for yourself, maybe you get on the subway today, and you know it goes off the rails. Well, you're not going to get on the subway today. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe you're going to avoid that on the way home, Billy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? 
Yeah, so just kinda, just just think about that. It's kind of like that movie. What the heck was it called? There was a bunch of sequels too, where these people were Final Destination. Know, yeah, that's what's going on with this crazy priest. <laughs> yes. Yep, and not to skip ahead too far, just basically one scene uh, when he's uh, talking to himself. Uh, you do end up seeing this gigantic mirror, and in it, he's seeing himself dead under the sword of Conan, and there's a lion, uh, an eagle, and a serpent. And uh, this guy just it just keeps you know haunting him, and he can't figure out what's going on. He's getting really pissed off about it, but he calls the captain of the guard in, and you know he says, you know, you need to bring me Conan, and we're gonna take care of this barbarian. And, I like how the captain of the guard right away is like, uh, surely it's for the king and queen to issue such an order. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, would you have me wake them? And he goes, tell them that you question their high priest. And he's like, uh, no, holiness. So <laughs> he does what he's told. <laughs> and he says, have bade me to, have bade me do so, Captain. Like, it's just the language is just crazy here. But yes, he's, he wants Conan dead and he sends one of his minions out. And, you know, the guards are, you know... They're at the, the king and queen's mercy. They're not going to deal with some haggardy old wizard who's crazy hanging around a mirror all day. So, you know, right, right away, you know, that he doesn't have the full respect. And he's just, he knows that he's losing grip, but he's doing everything to, I guess, stay mentally afloat. But he gets a visitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was weird. Man, this- yes, a man named Terum. Terum the Incarnate. He's basically, they describe him as the living embodiment of the greatest high... Hycranian deity. Hycranian. Hycranian. Hycranian deities. Okay, there you go. He's also the man god for whom a holy war is now even being waged. So anyway, as his guest, he sits him down and he's going to tell him the full story of the tale of how he became into possession of this damn mirror, which he calls the mirrors of soon. What is it? Soon. Soon. Tazoon Thune. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. Mm-hmm. So just imagine you got this guy over and, you know, he's going to tell you a story. It's, it's like the guy who brings you over and you're going to sit through, you know, nine hours of your wedding video. He's going to tell you all about the mirrors. So, you know, and boy, does he start. So tell us a little bit of the tale of the tale that he weaves, because we got to get another barbarian. The one yes. who preceded Conan, Mr. Cull. Yes, yeah, like story time with the crazy priest, which is great. You know, every. <laughs> Every little child looks forward to that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Story time yeah. with the priest. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pages four and five here are very interesting the way they're laid out. So what you get is uh, there's a, almost is it, it's, it's almost in like sections. There's like three sections. Yes. And the top section has an image kind of in the middle. And then there's an exposition on the left and on the right of, you know, the priest telling this uh, – Tarim the incarnate guy, which I don't know if he even is a guy, by the way. He almost looks like he's some kind of uh, ghoul or something in a robe. Yeah. We, not, we never really yeah, get too good of a look at him, but yeah, he's, he's creepy looking. But he tells him how, you know, uh, millennia ago, there was the uh, guy named Cull that, you know, ruled the land. And he had his buddy Brule, uh, the spear slayer. And <clears throat> he says, they talk about, you know, uh, it, well, it's funny. Cull sitting there on this throne. And he's sitting there. I don't know if he looks like he's just drunk or he's uh, just not really uh, interested in anything at all. I don't know if there's uh, yeah. I think I think yeah. I think they he's 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 you know he's not an adventurer. He's really got to be pulled. And his good buddy Brule is telling him all about different things that's going on. And you know it takes him a while to get wound up. 
You know what I mean? He says, but call scarcely heard Bruce call to action. Um, you know, no more for him were the wild sea songs that he had heard as a boy in his native Atlantis. So, you know, he's he's not very interested in going out and getting action. He's not into battles. This guy's more content of hanging out, being the king, hanging out with his throne. And, you know, he's more content of hearing the stories rather than basically acting them out. And this page, like you said, it's it's done in a very unique fashion, completely different from the books. It almost has a Hal Foster, almost Prince Valiant vibe here, actually. The way it's mm-hmm. set up. Yeah, Would you not agree? Is, yeah, which is what I think John Severin was going for uh, during this same time. Uh, Cull had his own title, but it only lasted about, was it 30-some issues? 30, 30 yeah, issues, yeah. maybe, somewhere around. Yeah, it didn't last anywhere near as long, but it was really good. Uh, and John Severin, John and Marie Severin were the artists on that, which was, they did a great job. But yeah, so Cull's like, you know, I guess it is a little boring around here. Uh, I guess I am going to go seek out this Tazun Thun, the wizard. He dwells by the Lake of Visions, where he speaks with the dead and with demons. So, hops on his horse, heads over to the, uh, you know, uh, neighboring area where the House of a Thousand Mirrors is. So, we see this, uh, you know, big Middle Eastern looking, uh, almost yep. looks like uh, something you'd see in India, maybe. Uh, and not, not not a castle, but I'm trying to think of what they a call very, it. A very, a very ornate style building i would say yeah so i I would say say of indian culture will probably be the best description of it with the you know almost like the candle top on the on the top of the stacks of the castle and different things like that very very indian inspired i would say yeah or even pakistani maybe i'm not sure i'm not super definitely definitely middle eastern in origin for sure for sure yeah and he goes in to see this creepy guy now what do you think of that panel there where he's sitting there on some kind of animal skin and this old creep is there what is that guy all about look at him yeah, like right right away, you know that Jeez. you're, you know, this is this is a guy who's been hanging around the castle. He's not interested, you know. He's he's even bored of the women, and something, you know, tells him you got to go check out the crazy old man who's into demonology out on the coast. And you know, you know, he mm-hmm. sits there, <laughs> and this creepy old man with the long, straggly ass, you know, gray beard. He's got the bald head, you know, the pointed fingertips, the big long cloak. He's like your classic movie villain. And, uh, you know, Cole is just taking it in. He's going to hear this story of, of, of the mirrors, which, uh, which, you know, is passed down from generation to book to book. You know what I mean? But he's a call is now going to experience it and all the tale behind it. Now, I don't know if he fully believes it. You know, he, you must see the mirrors of to zoom zoom. And anyway, he sits there looking in the mirror. I don't know if he, he actually believes it because he just sits there for hours seeing nothing. Then all of a sudden, the mirror opens up to him, and he gets to see his past. He gets to see dragons. He gets to see destruction, you know, seven empires, the sinking of Atlantis. You know, he gets to see the rise of, like, um, of, uh, of wizards and sorcerers. So he knows that bad stuff is coming for him. And, you know, he screams, and the mirror shatters into a million pieces. And, you know, he he's scared. He just saw, like, a future that he does not want to see, and that's going to haunt call from years to come mm-hmm. yeah and this is great because there's a panel on uh, page five there where he's standing in front of one of the in front of one of the mirrors and there's like oh, this perfect. mist uh, coming out from it and it kind of has him like hypnotized there and you know we basically see that uh, this was a uh, a way for uh, a baron and a woman that we saw on page four there that was you know whispering into Cull's ear about uh, these mirrors and they were you know plotting to kill him 
But thank God yeah. his uh, right-hand man, Brule, uh, tagged along, was uh, creeping around watching things. And when the old man, I guess, maybe kind of uh, was trying to ensorcel him or kill him, uh, Brule uh, took his, uh, almost looks like he has an axe of some sort there and killed the old buzzard. <laughs> <laughs> I got I, I don't know. I think that um, Brule looks like a dude who's, uh, you know, who's, who's challenging the uh, calls lady for uh, calls affections. I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> they they Maybe. they look they look too uh too um i would say scantily clad to uh to be comfortable as men there i think <laughs> yeah and there's, an, and there's an interesting caption box here at the bottom after they uh Brule kills the old guy and snaps a call out of it uh, the caption says then they two rode away in grim silence and though the great house stood for a thousand years more no footstep echoed there. No one disturbed the dried and withered carcass in the Hall of Illusion, which is interesting. So that, that building stood for another thousand years, but nobody would go in there. That's kind of wild. Yeah, it is. And it says, and Cull was less sure of reality. From that day, he gazed into the mirrors of Zoon Thun. So, you know, he really, really got set back here. I mean, you know, what caught him off guard, what he's seen, the old man is dead. You know, he knows that this mirror you know, is, is giving a peek of what's to come and it ain't good. No. And I wonder if this story that they're showing this flashback of fits into cults continuity anywhere. If it does, I'd really be interested to know that because I kind of feel like it doesn't or can't, it's just probably a one-off, but it would be uh, some of, some, some of the base stuff like his, uh, you know, the fall of Atlantis and the, you know, his, his dealings with the seven empires and all that stuff, that stuff was brought up in the series, but you know, I, I don't know anything that, directly related to the mirror something something you know i i don't recall anything there about that but you know they, they basically brought up you know several key parts of his history there so you know they're they're, they're towing the company line here but you know i i think they're shoehorning or retconning this uh this mirror into into existence here yeah so then now our buddy the uh crazy priest here uh like i said earlier he whips the cover off of this giant mirror and shows it to uh tarim uh, the incarnate and uh, like I said it shows uh, uh, that Conan has killed him and it's like well hey dude if this is showing exactly what's going to happen in the future at some point I don't know how you're going to get out of that you know what I mean it's like eh, and I don't think inviting Conan into your uh, lair even if it is under guard is probably the best idea and he's really scared so he you know he mm -hmm. he's you know in fear of this mirror and this is where you really see, you called it out earlier, you see the growling lion. You get to see the eagle peeking out. You get to see the serpent with tongue raised. And right in the middle is very, very classic and early John Buscema's Conan. And it is pitch perfect. Now, it was done in like a blue cast to say that, it, you know, it's inside the mirror. But it is a vision of beauty, would you not? What a, what a great oh. early shot of Conan. Out of the gate, he just nails him. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of detail in the, the priest's robe there laying there dead. There's oh. you, know, you can see there's a wound there that's bleeding, the lion. Like, oh, man, yeah, great, great detail. There's more detail in this panel than you see in entire comics. And, and he's afraid of everything because he knows that one of these things are going to cause his death. And he says, look there, holy Tarum, do you see, do you see the mode and manner of my death mine? said what is it cut down like rotted chafe before the blood scythe of that red-handed barbarian and there paused mockingly tauntingly above his black maned head images of lion eagle serpent signifying what what 
And then, <laughs> there you go. And then he wigs out and puts the, the little uh, curtain back across the, the mirrors. <laughs> Enough. I can bear no more, lest I go mad if I be not mad already. <laughs> and then he looks up at Oh, us. this was great. Yeah he, yeah, he really wants nothing to do with death, does he? Yeah, and he's got a crazy statue there. And he says, it must be, as I have told myself, that it is yonder carbon image. I see reflected, albeit strangely, in the glass. That revered statue of Turanian Griffin assaulting the winged serpent of Makalet. And we do see this now, crazy statue there. Now think about this. What are, what's interesting here, and we'll get into it a little bit later, which was which was definitely the cliffhanger of the book. Uh, right now you only see the eagle and the serpent fighting. But what about the lion? What about Conan? Hmm, seemingly missing from this statue. But we'll see that there's uh, there's something at play with that one. So there you go. Yeah, so <laughs> cut cut to uh, outside the uh, uh, in the village here where uh, Conan is creeping around, and it looks like he's probably trying to either go get drunk or laid because that's all Conan does: <laughs> fight, drink, and have sex. <laughs> and he's looking. And he 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 does it. He does it. This guy, uh, this guy, if he had uh, if he had a bed post, it would be splinters. <laughs> he goes. He's looking for a place to sleep, and of course, he opens a door. And it looks like it's a bar because there's a table there with some booze right. on it. But the, the captain of the guard is uh, is here with uh, his uh, men to arrest him. And he says, uh, come with us. And Conan says, and if I don't care to come? And the guy says, then we're seven against one. And you look as if you've already passed through ten hells this night. Well, <laughs> and Conan's response is, one place to sleep is as good as another. So he just goes with them. <laughs> Yeah, he does. And, you know, they, they try to explain to him that Karam Akkad himself has sent for you. I don't like it, but. And anyway, then it just then it continues on. And then Conan finally figures out that, you know what, I'm not going to go with these guys. And then a melee ensues. And boy, the ass kicking begins. And Conan begins slashing and hacking the guard here. He's picking up whiskey barrels over his head and just swinging these things like crazy. So, you know. He, you know, he's actually taking down an entire, you know, core of soldiers here. You know what I mean? By himself with, with a random sword and a whiskey barrel. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's used to fighting. He's used to protecting himself. And then he goes on the run and he, he kicks it into high gear and he's running towards the palace. Yeah. And I love how, as he's picking up that, you know, cask of booze, which is like as big as him and he struggles to pick it up, but he does and pulls it over his head. The, the fatso in the background, the wine guy. No, son of a flea-infested mastiff. That's some of my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The barkeep is really upset that he's thrown away his best alcohol. <laughs> hey, it doesn't bust though. He throws it, knocks three soldiers down, but it doesn't bust. So hey, it's still good. <laughs> Do you get the feeling that one of the old tropes in comic books was like what I like to call the bowling ball trope, where you know you pick something up and you <laughs> knock people over like a bunch of bowling pins? You know what I mean? It's it mm-hmm. seemed to be common in like Spider Man and uh, Captain America when he hit people with the shield, like you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It was just like knocking down bowling pins, and Conan does the same thing here. So you know you always you always get like the the three for one deal when it came to beating up <laughs> goons in Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, he's hoofing it and he's going towards the uh, uh, palace here that we uh, described earlier. He goes running in there and there's like, you know, uh, the, the king and the queen are there and he has his arm raised in the air like he's you know going to take them out with the sword. But all of a sudden he looks at the queen and, you know, again, Conan sometimes thinks with, you know, his dong instead of his brain. <laughs> so he's like, wow, this chick's pretty hot. 
and the next thing you know, somebody bounces this huge rock off his head that knocks him out. <laughs> oh, and the look is classic. He almost looks caveman-esque with, the, with this rock beaming off his head. And it's the only thing that really, really takes him out of commission because he thinks about it for a second. He gets hit with the rock, and then he sort of thinks about it. He almost does a Greg the Hammer Valentine where he gets wound up and he just falls flat face on his, for, on his, uh, on his chest to the ground. Now, the lady who he had just raised the scimitar to is comforting him. She's like trying to figure out what's going on. My goodness. Quickly, Captain, he may be hurt. Like she's actually upset that he may be hurt. This is a guy who just threatened her life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, when the rock hits him and he stands there, he looks like he got just like, you know, had some good mushrooms. That's what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> just passing by. Duh. He's tripping out. But yeah, she's like, Quickly, Captain, he may be hurt. We should. And the captain goes, we'll see to that dog, my lady. Perhaps you would wish us, wish to see his majesty. And I'm like, listen to this guy, as if she's like, you know, touching on Conan like she wants a piece of him. And uh, the, the captain of the guard getting a little lippy there. And I thought, uh, she's the queen, dude. She could have your head cut off. I know, but it's just a weird response for the queen. So this guy's like a barbarian savage and, you know, she's like an elite part of like the, uh, you know, the, the government of this, of this particular town of Malik, Mecca, Malakat or whatever the place is called. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just odd that she had sympathy for Conan right away. It's just, just really weird. But anyway, well, he loves he, the ladies and maybe, maybe she, uh, you know, she was smelling his pheromones. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. I, I think that's what it is. You, it doesn't matter how high society chicks are. When Conan comes around, they, uh, you know, usually end up uh, in the sack with him. So um, I think that's what's going on here. Then when you see her, her uh, husband, the king here, it's not that he's like ugly or anything like that, but he does seem like kind of a wuss. Like Conan basically, like, you know, tapped on his shoulder and he got thrown to the ground like a wimp. So maybe she, you know, wants somebody that's a little <laughs> bit tougher. <laughs> he ba- he's basically King Randor from Masters of the Universe. He really, really looks exactly like him. So I don't know. May- maybe there was some inspiration from. Uh, actually, there was more than inspiration, believe it or not. So if you're a Masters of the Universe fan, the actual design for He Man actually came from Conan. So there you go. The original concept was a mass. It was a Conan the Barbarian cartoon show that they couldn't acquire the rights, so they just modified it and turned it into He Man. So, yeah, so, you know, maybe maybe King Randor here is a real thing. Well, every time I see this scene, though, all I can think of is the king looking at his wife and going, those eyes have lust for Conan. <laughs> you guys got me in the back seat. The champion's supposed to be number one. Uh-huh. <laughs> the mega powers here, so. <laughs> <laughs> you got lust in your hands for Elizabeth. <laughs> but, yeah, so. Yeah, she, you know, they kind of have a little bit of a back and forth, but the, you know, the, the king's just like, ah, you know, chuck this guy in the cell. So, yeah, they, and, and they notice some sexual tension there. And he's like, now take him away and good riddance to his unkempt hide. <laughs> Which is fantastic. And off with them. <laughs> they, they start dragging him off to the clink. And then we do switch to this uh, scene of right outside the city here. You know, we see uh, there's a, a band of people that are going to attack the city. And they kind of remark about how, you know, uh, you know, they haven't yet because, you know, there's this going on and that going on. And I think it has something to do with the priests. And like he said earlier about his magics and stuff like that. But uh, yes, kinda, so the, he, the, the, these are the Turians and the, this mm-hmm. is the the warring the warring city from a, from a few blocks down or whatever. And they've been held at bay with the sorcery of the of the wizard. You know, magic has kept them out of out of this particular uh mm-hmm. 
this particular village or whatever of Mechalet or whatever it is. So, you know, these guys have been trying to storm the Bastille for, for quite some time, but they just can't figure a way out. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely in the planning stages, we'll say. Yeah, and it's interesting. This guy who was the, the prince of all Turin, uh, he's not really into the uh, mystical, magical stuff. He actually calls it mumbo-jumbo, and he says, I put little trust in gods or their lackeys. <laughs> oh, my. Fantastic. Yeah, so they, he goes into their tent, and they've got some ganja burning, and you know they're bowing down to this guy and having their little crazy uh, ceremony here. And the head guy says, hear and heed us, O sacred Terran. Thou who art incarnate in the man-god spirited away by the Makalet devils. So I'm assuming he's talking about that guy that was in the temple that we, uh, yeah. uh, the, the crazy priest was talking to. It says, accept this sacrifice and give us a sign if this truly be the hour of the griffin, which is interesting, that mm. hour when victory of swords shall be ours. And I don't see them sacrificing anything really, but there, there actually might be something on that altar behind him. It's hard to tell. Oh, yeah. I know what you're saying. Mm. There, might be a, there might be a dude back there. Or there might be an animal. I'm not sure. It might be a dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I think there are a lot of dudes uh, all all around here. I, I'm I'm questioning. I'm questioning. Oh, you know what? I guess this other crazy guy with this wild beaded kind of bandana on says uh, fatted calves are on upon this twilight's altar. So it's a calf back there. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. That's some, what. Yeah. Some dude. Yeah, they're definitely doing a sacrifice there of some sort for sure. Yeah, so they even end up convincing this guy that you know now's the time to strike, pal. Like, listen to the priest, listen to me, listen to everybody that's telling you it's time to uh, strike. And he goes, so it would seem, so it would seem. Done then. We'll risk our all in one final furious assault. And he <laughs> pops out of the tent and screams, all captains from your ranks, all horsemen, man your steeds. This night either Makalet falls and stone remain not upon stone. Or else the manhood of Turan be shed like rain on eastern shores. Meaning, 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 we ain't men unless we go to war. That's that's basically what he's saying. And you know, our manhood will be in jeopardy if we don't get victory here this this day. I love too in that panel where he's spouting off about all this. Everybody kind of looks the same, but it's like one thing is not like the others. And there's that guy in the corner there. What's up with him? He doesn't mix with them. Let's see which which guy you're talking about oh like, yes yes yeah where'd they get this clown from he's like pink first of all and he's got uh like the the, the garbage hefty garbage bag haircut where it's all pulled back like that and he, he's he looks like, like a, he looks like a a hordian from strike force moratory with the with the pink yeah. color and the yeah the, the scrotal face i don't know it's a really strange look there yeah and he's carrying a bucket of doobage or something there too and he kind of turns and looks at the guy and he's like all right let's do it and, Again, quick switch, <laughs> of, quick switch of scenes back into uh, the palace here inside the city. And we get uh, our buddy here, the priest, uh, questioning Conan. And he's saying to uh, Conan, it's not for you to question my decision, Chambala. And he says, I rarely seen one who could be more worth, worth more alive than, you know, dead as a warrior. So the captain of the guard's trying to say to the priest, hey, we could use this guy to be like, you know, part of our little army here. And the priest isn't having it. Because, uh, again, he's seen in the mirror and knows that Conan kills him, right? Exactly. So so he knows this is this is one of the potential reasons that I'm concerned and upset every single night. And I have him trapped before me. It's in my best interest to, to rid the world of this idiot. The only problem is that <laughs> the queen, 
seems to have a uh, a, a little fantasy with, with the barbarian here. So, you know, he knows he's got his work cut out for him to convince him that, uh, you know, this barbarian needs to die. But the first thing he's going to do, he's going to show him the wedding video. By God, after showing everybody and telling everyone he could possibly listen to about this damn mirror, now he's going to give Conan, who's his captive audience, you know, he's 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 going to show him this mirror and tell him all about it. He says, be silent. I bet uh, it's I better to do than risk any of my life in dubious battle with a barbarian. Now tell me, what is the secret of the eagle, the snake and the lion? And he goes, eagle, have you gone mad priest? <laughs> and then he takes Conan and he literally shoves him. Like he's got this board that's that's pinning his, uh, you know, he's almost almost put on a cross, except the board is a back, you know, back behind him. He's all pinned down. He's on his knees and he's making sure that he's looking into this mirror. So he's grabbing his hair and forcing him to look. And he said, uh, not so mad as you shall go when you've gazed at length into my mirrors. Look into them, Cimarron. Look deep and look long and then tell me how you feel. <laughs> and of course, Conan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then says, Conan, of course, takes a peek. Yeah, he takes a peek and he sees himself, but he's like a, a skeleton. There's no flesh on him at all. And he goes, uh, the caption box says, Conan has seen this skullish face before when he fled headlong one night from this temple of Tarim. And it says, but a man's looming death does not become the less terrifying simply because it's more familiar. So Conan trembles. And it does show him kind of like grimacing and sweating. Yeah. <laughs> Oh snap! Something's if something evil's going on in my mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, yeah. Uh, he, we... He's de- he's definitely in fear of what he sees, and boy, does he's got a lot to be in fear of because not only does he see a skeleton, but now he sees it slowly evolve. So he's going to see storms, you know, a drifting storm, and then he's going to see this giant octopus green creature with you know obscene tentacles, just the ugliest of beasts. You know what I mean? He's seeing inside this mirror. And all of a sudden, the tentacles reach out for him. This is from the cover. And Conan, he's stuck. He's got, you know, he's got his arms pinned behind his back on this giant log. But he's seen enough. He's powering out. He's hulking up here, Billy. And he cracks that board. He cracks almost like a phone pole that he was attached to. And he snaps this thing. And he goes into Conan mode. But, of course, at the first touch of these tendrils, Conan has stopped. It's almost like he hears the far off siren song. So, you know, he's almost lulled into some sort of, you know, j- just he, he's, like he's calm for some reason. Yeah. He's hypnotized. Yeah. And this is an interesting turn of events here. So it looks like Conan's in some deep stuff here, but then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the captain of the guard is still there, I guess, which we didn't see him since that earlier scene when uh, the priest told him to, you know, buzz off. So he's still there and he flips his lid here. He goes, no, this is blasphemy that such things should happen in the temple of the true Terran. Fight back, man. And then it does sort of snap Conan out of it a little bit. He says, Krom, I feel I've been far away someplace, but now I'm back and I shall fight. And then the captain of the guard says, I'll help you and pulls the sword out and goes to help Conan. But what happens to him? Oh, he gets he gets a Pearl Harbor. So listen, you got Mr. Mr. Akkad who attacks his own, you know, one of their own soldiers from behind. And he says, you'll help no one treacherous dog, lest it be through your widow's pension. 
and he attacks him and kills him. He puts him out of puts him out of commission anyway. And poor Conan is just there struggling. Now he's totally entombed in these tentacles. And Conan just looks over and he's just, you know, oh, the poor fellow who's helped me already, wizard. So anyway, he then he finally gets his hand on his big scimitar, his big curved blade sword that you see in like Prince of Persia. And, you know, then he takes it out and he starts slashing away with these, uh, with his sword and he's starting to free himself from the tentacles and he's doing quite a good job. He's just slashing and hacking. There's bl- green blood going everywhere. And, uh, and Mr. Akkad, the evil wizard, he knows what's up. He knows Conan, the man who he's seen in this mirror over and over as one of the potential causes for his death is about to be free and he's going to be bearing a sword and he's run for the hills, Billy. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give this priest credit. Usually when this happens, the priest will run or if he's a, a, a mage, he'll try to use some kind of like sorcery against Conan. This dude picks up a sword and a shield and he's like, bring it. And the two of them are about to get into it. And then we see that scene there. And that's a really good panel too right there where uh, it shows uh, you know, the, the forces of uh, Turan uh, coming for the city here. That's a pretty good one. Oh man, is it ever? Like mm. there's a there's a lot of detail. Like and, and this is what sets uh, I think Busema away from anyone else who's done Conan. It's his it's his overall mastery of every aspect of drawing. Like I said, he doesn't have any weaknesses. He knows how to draw great costumes. He knows how to draw great detail. Uh, you know, faces, figures. There, there's there's no dent in this man's armor in every single shot that he takes, especially when he goes big and sweeping like the this at uh, this panel, which are showing the Turians, you know, finally attacking Maquette, uh, Macalet or whatever the place is called. Mm-hmm. It's just brilliant. You know, they've got the flags raised, the armies with sword raised in the background. You got the gentleman, you know, the commander on the horse with the with the sword raised, looking very He-Man-ish on the way. And they're ready. And they're going to do it for Tarim and for Turan as they just storm the palace. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, on top of the uh, palace here, uh, the king and queen. And the king is like, you know, it's about to hit the fan here. He tries to tell the queen, like, try to make an escape. And she's like, oh, no, you know, I'm the queen and I know what I uh, bargained for here. So I'll stay with you. And I don't know if that's smart or not, but uh, we'll see. But <laughs> well, she sort of placates him, too. Like, he's really, you know. You, you know, she's trying to calm him down because, you know, she knows that she's she's been a little bit disloyal to Conan. And she says, no, my husband, I pledged my loyalty to you and to Macalet the day we wed. And if this city falls, then a queen's blood, too, shall stain these age old stones. <laughs> so she's yeah. saying that she's going to go down with the ship. She's not yeah. going nowhere. She's not going to flee. She's going to stand with the king who she's supposedly loyal to and then go down with the ship. She's going to, you know, try to defend against the, the Turians who are attacking here. Yeah, I mean, hey, good on her. But back to the uh, temple and uh, Conan and this guy are going at it here, man. They're having a really good fight. And there's a couple of points where it looks like, you know, the, the priest is doing pretty well against Conan. But then as he's got his blade in the air that he's going to kind of strike down onto Conan. Uh, he looks at the hilt of the sword Conan is holding, and your hilt is formed like an eagle's head. And that makes him kind of pause, and Conan just goes berserk and starts hacking at his shield and hacking it to pieces. And then one final, whoosh, and then there goes the shield. And he looks down at the shield and says, snakeskin, the strap of the captain's shield was made of snakeskin. So, okay, remember back to uh, 
you know, the, the, the mirror and what he saw in the his, mirror. His, his three deaths. Mm-hmm. It's the snake, the eagle, and the lion, and he's he's ran into two of them so far. Yeah, so he starts wetting his pants here, and then, uh, or I guess wetting his gown, whatever he's wearing, his robe. Um, and then he, this is kind of weird, though. He pulls this mirror off the wall, and it's, you know, like a, a an oval-shaped mirror. It almost looks like, you know, uh, a cheesy ring, but just really, really big. And yeah, it, it it looks like it's looked like something that your great great grandparents would have hung as a as a mirror in their house. It's like really ornate. It's silver. It's got like a real you know a real decorative trim, but it just looks like an old mirror. It's not one of these giant ones that you know he was touting early on. It just seemed like he he grabbed he grabbed a random mirror, but apparently the the Zoom Thoon mirrors are, are a series of mirrors and not just one big one as we thought earlier. Yeah, and I mean, I guess they did say that, that was it the, the chick or was it Brule? One of them said about that uh, castle that he had gone, uh, Cull had gone to being a, a palace of a thousand mirrors or something like that. Uh, so it's yes. like, yes. oh, holy crap. But yeah, the guy, the thing he's holding up, it kind of looks like, you know, grandma's brooch or something. But uh, he, he, <laughs> he thinks it's going to like have some kind of powers here. But I don't know if the, the mirror just doesn't work on Conan. Or since he's well, kind of afraid it doesn't work, it needs his, his power or what's going on here, but it doesn't work. And Conan runs him through. He's sick and tired of all the hocus pocus. And he simply just takes the sword at his first opportunity and he just drives it through the chest of the, the wizard. And then the wizard finally says, the vision came true, but can't die. Not yet. Not before I know the answer. And he grabs the cloth from the mirror and he starts pulling it down. And, you know, it says that, but Karam Akkad is not to know as his words die with his body. So he doesn't really know what the mirror is going to show. But we do know that one of the problems was that he did see attacks from the serpent. He did see attacks from the eagle but he and Conan, but he did not see the lion. Now, the final scene is what is what's what's kind of crazy. So Conan is now looking at the dead body of the wizard and in the mirror, he sees himself with the, you know, the blood drawn standing over this wizard. In the background, you see the serpent, the eagle and the lion. And one of the things call and here it comes the big conclusion, he says, and men shall know him by another name. Uh, that Conan, a name that fits him well for men call uh, for men shall call him. Amra, which means the lion. So he was actually killed by the lion, which is actually Conan, another name for Conan. Well, we didn't see that coming. So, you know, he really, really had to be afraid of the lion, the eagle and the snake because the lion, a.k.a. Conan, came for him and killed him. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so- love that. I love that little story element. That was that was cool. Yeah, I really like that. And I actually do have you know issues where they do refer to him as that as well so you know that was a really cool thing to do there i really like that i think you know uh, whether it was you know partially roy and partially robert e howard or all roy or all howard whatever whoever uh, you know thought of that that was a pretty neat little uh, ending there i thought right yeah, it came, it came out of nowhere, and there was such focus on, you know, the, the, the poor wizard, you know, trying to dodge his inevitable death that, you know, you, you never did get to see the lion do anything. So you're like, oh, so he dodged one of his, uh, you know, his one of his tormentors, but it wasn't really because it was right in front of his face, and it was Conan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so really, really cool. And, 
uh, this is for another time, but uh, the next issue does pick up right where this one left off with that exact scene. So, uh, again, if you read a lot of Conan, there is a lot of continuity, especially when they have like ongoing stories, you know, comic book stories that are taken from uh, taken from a longer uh, story from Howard, you know. So there's there's a lot of continuity in there, which I, I actually really liked, you know. And it did switch to something new every now and again, but a lot of times they would reference things that had happened. So I, that's but, one thing I do like about the title. One, one, yeah, one funny thing about Conan, the early issues, I'd say the first maybe even 60, I would say literally had this formula, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, somewhere along the line, sales start to decline. And then they get into more of the supernatural elements. So, you know, the barbarian, mm-hmm. the sex and all that stuff, you know, is not getting it done. So then they switch into Conan fighting a lot of skeleton warriors skeleton everything's a skeleton this guy's a skeleton you know so when you think about the origins of conan and eventually becoming like um you know basically forming into the uh, the idea and the genesis of he-man and the master's universe who's he-man's biggest nemesis billy mm-hmm. skeletor, skeletor. Yeah. I see skeletor. <laughs> oh oh me too me too classic but stan lee himself even dictates that you know one of one of the things that sells comic books were skeletons and skeleton warriors. So a lot of the horror stuff at the time had by mandate to have skeletons and skeleton warriors in them. And Conan was one of those books that became the skeleton warrior book. So, you know, when he goes to a tomb or a palace of the undead, Conan begins, especially after the first 60 issues, fighting a lot of the undead and the end skeletons. So it's just one of those curious notes about Conan lore in general. So kind of cool, kind of cool. Even his ripoff, his ripoff visage of He-Man, his arch nemesis would be an actual skeleton. So I just, I just find that a, a fun fact for Conan fans, though. But boy, this, this was, this was a fun ride. Like you talk about the debut of Marvel's one of, one of the most prolific artists that ever, ever debuted. I would call this a, a win. He really got to show what he could do. You know, a lot of the battle scenes and a lot of the stuff that Buscema's known for is all on display right here. And he brings Conan to the next level in issue 25. Yep, absolutely. Two thumbs up. Uh, definitely. I mean, I don't know if they're even still available or not. I don't know how well they sold, but I'm reading uh, this from the Epic Collection, the second uh, volume. They're not, for some reason, the Conan ones are not as uh, thick. The page count is not really high on them, but uh, they're really, really good reprint material. It's it's really good quality stuff. So I think I have the first three. I think they've come out with four and even maybe five yet uh, oh, since man. I got them. But I, I think I'm going to go that route because uh, I do have probably, I'd say maybe at least 40 or 50 single issues of Conan, but I think yeah. you know, eventually I might just go the route of the trades just because again, they are such good quality stuff and, you know, easier to store and all that jazz. Conan was one of those things that, you know, I, I managed to maintain a lot of my collections as a kid. Some of my magazine collections got purged though. And with that was, you know, I would say a reasonable stack of Savage Sword, which always irritates me. And one of the things that really irritates me is that quite recently I had a I had a bid in on a local guy in my in my uh, in my area had the complete run of Savage Sword and he was selling Ooh. it for less than a hundred dollars. <gasps> wow! Yes, yes, yes. And I had my bid in on it. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to pick it up on Thursday. I definitely want this thing. And the guy ghosted me and never wrote back. Oh, 
wow. That's oh, I, I thought I, I thought I had it on lock. Oh my God. Did I think I had this thing? I was like, all right, I got this. I got my entire collection back. This is great, but uh, it was not meant to be Billy. Wow. You might be able to legally commit murder over that. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> but under a hundred like... bucks and everything just preserved. Cause I was at his, I, I went to his house and I actually saw the items. So, you know, it wasn't just like a, a picture on like a Facebook marketplace. This guy actually had them and they were all bagged and boarded and in great shape and these big magazine bags and they looked fantastic. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, great. Big mm, disappointment. Yeah. But anyway, what a, yeah, what a jerk. Yeah, back in Conan's day, he wouldn't have got away with that. <laughs> By Crom, he would he would have felt my blade. <laughs> yep. So, all right, if, man. If well, he, that's yeah. Go ahead. If he looked into his mirror of uh, of 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 uh, of a cod here, he definitely would have seen the uh, his death being one of my hands around his neck. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were gonna say the sword of Bailey over him. I was gonna say, whoa, <laughs> whoa, hold on. <laughs> Go it would have happened here. sure <laughs> <laughs> well that's gonna wrap us up here for this one my friend thanks for joining me i really appreciate this but uh, if anybody's looking to find you out there where can they look holy cow i mean twitter twitter 2.0 what has happened billy our <laughs> socials are our socials are so far up in the air but i tell you what no matter where you are if you're on twitter you can find me at charlton underscore hero hey if you pop over to counter social God knows who's uh, who's on that one. You can find me at Charlton underscore hero. How about Mastodon? Nope. At Charlton <laughs> underscore hero. He's all over the place. You will not, you will not Robert Liefeld me. I will be found on, on all your, all your social platforms. That includes Instagram, whatever, whatever, whatever you love, whatever platform you're going to stay on. By God, Charlton hero will have a presence. Hit me up, have a chat. I always love to have some conversation about comic books, Billy. Yep, and definitely check out uh, Superhero Satellite as well, right? Absolutely, and Superblog Team Up. Don't forget our my merry band of uh, of bloggers, which we have a big event coming up over December, and it's all about uh-huh. Mr. Stan Lee to celebrate his 100th birthday, and I can't wait to talk about good old Stan. Yeah, going to be a good one. Like you said, that's a, that's a big event. We're going to try to do it justice there. So Absolutely. Okay, my friend, that's going to wrap us up for this one. And again, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it and looking forward to talking again in the very near future. Absolutely. Bye, Crom. Have a good night, everybody. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Okay, everybody, once again, I want to thank Charlton Hero uh, for coming on this episode. Uh, a lot of fun talking with uh, him about some Conan. He and I are going to talk about some, uh, a lot of the crazy comics uh, coming forward uh, this year and uh, 2023. You know, and uh, Dead Man and some Conan, some Shang-Chi. We're going to have a lot of fun talking some crazy comics, he and I. So 
uh, stay tuned. All right, take care. <laughs>